Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name is Alice. Thank you so much for downloading and for listening. Today I'm sharing with you an interview with Elena Gomez, who is the author of a collection called Body of Work. Body of Work came out about a year ago with Cordite Books and I have read it a few times and got such different things out of it each time I've read it. Even if you haven't read this collection though, I think there's a lot in this interview that will really interest you if you're a poet or just somebody who thinks about what writing is and our relationship to it basically. We talk at the beginning of the interview about the question of holding back when you write, especially as a writer who is female, what is it to include emotions and what is it to exclude them and to point to that exclusion in your writing. Then we get into a discussion around our relationship to technology as writers. How much do we need to include the fact that we are writing on laptops with smartphones next to us? which leads us into a discussion about what it is to be a writer in a late capitalist society. Eleanor used to be part of a reading group looking at Das Kapital, and she has also just completed her MFA, which looked at Marxist feminist poetics. And if you don't know what that is or how it works, neither did I. And Eleanor gives a really great, really simple explanation that I could keep up with. So, and it points to the work of poets like Alice Notley and Bernadette Mayer and yeah I just felt like I learned so much from this conversation so I hope you do as well. Thanks so much as always for listening. I've had a few chats with listeners recently and uniformly people have mentioned how they are listening as they are going to sleep in bed so if that is where you are right now as you're listening then I hope you have a really good sleep. Enjoy this episode. to start by asking about the topic of holding back which I think might be an undercurrent in body of work it's a theme that I felt like was was there and not which I suppose is appropriate and I wanted to quote a little bit from your preface where you say I'm afraid to share more because of what emotions have done to my poetry Um, I'm really interested in how you have worked with emotion when you've been writing and whether that's something that you have paired back or become more gentle with um, or just how it's functioned. Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting pickup because I think I didn't realise I was doing that but I think it is actually always present when I'm writing because I guess I feel a lot of anxiety around writing and it took me a really long time to like to let go of the feeling of needing to accomplish something with it and that it that feeling of needing to sort of finish a poem or to do it right somehow and actually be okay with just the writing as an act but in the learning of that I had to confront all of my sort of feelings of inadequacy and perfectionism and sort of I guess, yeah, uh, yeah, the idea of trying to do it right. So I think the that anxiety 
got in the way of writing a lot and that's probably where that tug comes from of mm. me sort of trying to push it down and write through it and then at other points sort of letting it come out in the poetry itself mm. so I think some of the poems kind of I, if I wrote them now I'd probably have a lot more of a restrained approach in the page and at the time like I look at it now and I think it's like kind of excessive but really yeah that's so it's... interesting <laughs> oh, it's really fascinating because I yeah. yeah like I said I, I felt I was rereading it today in preparation to talk to you and I thought about um there is emotion there for sure but I also, yeah, I guess, as you say, I felt that tug of like saying a certain amount, but not saying everything. I guess what I'm actually asking is, are there earlier drafts of poems, like the ones that are included in Body of Work, that are much more inclusive of certain emotions? Um, oh, maybe. I mean, there's definitely earlier drafts that are inclusive of something and I think I think I know I think I know what you're talking about now is the, like I think I perform negation sometimes as a way of not having to do something mm. but doing it doing it by not doing it or yeah. I don't know uh, uh, I'm thinking I know Anne Boy has got an essay on not writing and Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Uh, I haven't read it in ages, but I yeah. think when I read it, I was like, oh, that's like kind of how I like naming something in order to. Oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Sorry. It's... I totally know yeah. what you mean, though. There's something of like yeah. performing into a negative area mm. in order to not have to do it gesture or something yeah kind of like drawing a boundary around something drawing drawing a frame around it and saying inside this is something that we're not going to actually delve into but it is there like i'm recognizing it by making a gap where it would be um yeah that's really fascinating well i'm glad that that's kind of that was a, a accurate read it was it was it was accurate but it's also not it wasn't conscious and I didn't realize it was until you yeah, oh, cool. said that. And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a line early in the book that I think kind of framed it for me, which is in the poem Primordial Pouch. And it, uh, the line reads, is my primordial pouch too much for this moment? So it's that question. And I, I believe that's the last line of the poem could be or maybe not um but yeah just kind of saying is this too much i think that's i think that's definitely like uncertainty that i wrote into Mm. where i was i still don't know how to write poems or i mean i think that's the constant feeling but there was definitely in these works i think a feeling of like I need to put my uncertainty out there so no one thinks that I think I know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. <laughs> or something. Have, have all the answers. Uh, yeah, that's the last line of the poem. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, I'm glad I remembered that right. So it's kind of like, that's a question that, that's left hanging. There's no need for it to be answered, really. Uh, no. Yeah. It's just a recognition of, like, there's a possibility that, there's a too muchness here, whatever that is. 
what are, what are your thoughts in terms of I feel like this question of emotion, this conversation would be happening really differently if I were interviewing a cis man. That's reductive, but I think it's <laughs> probably also pretty a pre- pretty safe to say. And I, I sometimes wonder with... Because there's obviously there's the whole like Anne Sexton line of like too much, too much emotion... But then I think, I don't have much to prove this theory, but my working theory is that we expect more of female poets in terms of the emotion that they will give. And when they don't give it, we don't go, oh, what sparkling, well-turned phrase. We go, oh, it's dry. And like, where's the, where's the juice? Where's the like, I want to know who this person is. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense there, but. No, I think, uh. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've never read poems that way, so mm. I, I, I think you're right, but I'm also kind of in a little corner where I just sort of ignore a lot of stuff in the poetry world and don't sort of keep up with what yeah, things right. are said too much. So I oh think... well, I don't. I don't want to give the impression that I know what's. No, I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I guess. Mm, hang on. So the idea that female or women um, or female identifying poets are sort of expected to be more performative about their emotion in their poetry. I wonder if that's the case. Um, I feel as if, well, I feel like it's a, it's a double bind. Um, Like female poets would get both maligned and rewarded for showing emotion. Yeah. And maybe this is very old, like, because I am thinking about Sexton. I don't know, mm-hmm. like, criticism of Sexton. We're going pretty far back there. I don't know how, how much this operates now, if at all. Um, but I just wondered about it in terms of that that thing you said about how I'm afraid to share more because of what emotions have done to my poetry. Yes, and yeah. the fear, a fear maybe that I was not going to be able to be seen as a good poet if I was too emotional in there. Yeah. It was going to over... That the emotion and the technique can't exist in the same space. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's probably like an underlying worry somewhere in me. Um, I've always, I think, kind of not had a good relationship with the concept of emotions in that I feel like I'm only just now sort of recognizing them as kind of valid things and mm. not sort of physiological uh, responses that get in the way of yeah. things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this stupid emotion is not letting me write this poem. And actually like, oh wait, the emotion is okay. It's next to the poem mm. or something. Mm. Yeah. But not necessarily in the poem. No, no, not necessarily in it. But also it can be in it. But also, actually, maybe it can't. I don't know. I'm like, no, no. I think that's where the... That's why I wrote... <laughs> so Diana Hamilton was writing, um, like, a poetry advice column. Yeah. So, right, so I wrote that... I wrote a question to her about my emotions being a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And that was mainly, like, in the context of me, like, having annoying tantrums when I couldn't write a poem properly and that I thought... I was like just not able to do it and then realizing yeah this is 
a stupid problem. <laughs> it's like you either want to write poetry and you write it, or you don't and you don't. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, but I didn't have to keep like knocking my head against a wall. Yeah. Well, but that's also a question of standards, I guess, and like um, meeting your own standards and yes. expectations for what the work is. Yeah. Yeah. The like the sort of constant pursuit of getting onto the page to what's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What span of time does body of work represent in terms of writing for you? Did it come together fairly quickly or is it a number of years worth of work or? Uh, it's a number of years. Um, there's some pretty early poems from when I was first starting to write poetry. Uh, I reckon there's probably like five-ish years worth in mm. there um but i also was like i included stuff that i had written quite recently when i was putting the manuscript together yeah so so yeah and then i think i had a, i had a few like zombie poems that i sort of came back to and turned yeah. into something else so i don't know if they were technically written five years earlier or if they were new poems but yeah, yeah. oh was, yeah that's such a great way to put it there are those poems that won't die um, or or even just lines that you're just like, I have to deal with this. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. sometimes I had to like, uh, I had to sort of go, okay, I guess this is the poem and I can't do anything more with it and mm. it'll go in the book mm. and my publisher can tell me if it doesn't work or not because mm. I can't see it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yep, for sure. Yeah, I had that exact same experience and I'm very grateful that in one case my publisher did say, and this is a poem I'd been working on for like seven years. My, my publisher's like, this ain't right. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. Did you take any parts of it out and use it elsewhere? Uh, no, because I remain attached to the entire thing. <laughs> It's just one of those ones. It's gonna be with me for for yeah until I can deal with it. Yeah, until I can deal with what it is I want to say there. But yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the question of bodies in as it's dealt with in the book. So it's called Body of Work. I am really fascinated by the relationship between bodies and technology in the book. Um, there is there are so many great lines that deal with that um you cannot be contained in a single storage file um uh there's a poem that is just called download free pdf which just amuses me no end and then there's one poem that uses it's in sections and a number of the sections are titled with the automatically generated file names for screenshots which I realized when I was reading it again today, oh, these are ephrastic poems with a screenshot as, well, I mean, it could be, yeah, with a screenshot as the, as the artistic material. Oh, and you also quote uh, Amy Dath, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I wish, for, I wish for us another world where we might live freely, a world of dank memes and sleek gifs, slash gifs. And it's gifts. It's gifts, yes, because it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I just would really love to hear you talk about 
just the role of, of technology in in the book and, and in your writing? Um, oh, so that's, that's broad, such a cool, broad question. That's yeah. a cool question because I think uh, it sort of highlights like a really specific moment during the time I was writing the poems for this book and I was like, oh yeah, actually I can sort of remember the moments when I was actually just writing those poems and I think like... I don't actually know what what they're in there for because I think at the time they were just the internet and my computer and all the dumb shit I did on it to pass the time were like in in my head a lot so I was just playing with those and they were just sort of with me so like I actually just took I mucked around on the photos app and would just take photos of myself doing things and like with my um makeup looks and stuff and just like I don't know I think I was just playing with it Mm. and then it didn't I didn't realize I was sort of engaging with that as an idea until yeah I think with some distance I can be like oh yeah that was the period where I was thinking a lot about those relationships but also just you know I guess the body is still ultimately my kind of under running interests so Mm. in a sense I was exploring like the body's encounter with the thing that I was encountering a lot in my daily life which is my computer screen and also like really weird shit on my computer like just like not weird shit but just like the like noticing the different kind of layers and pieces of it and yeah, like file names and stuff. I don't know. Mm. It's, um, I kind of, if I wasn't writing poetry, I might've been doing, like if I was at art school, I might've done something more interesting, like with some technology itself, but mm. I'm not really inclined that way. So yeah. <laughs> I prefer pen and paper, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question. Oh no, um, absolutely. It's, like um, it, it's, it's sort of speaking to what we were talking about before in terms of the like there's an inclusivity in the way that you're writing about technology like using the full screenshot auto-generated file name it's like this is poetic fodder this is this is my material mm-hmm. yeah including that and then juxtapose against the work around emotion which is kind of like an acknowledgement but not not necessarily an investigation like you were referencing the the weirdness of the material it, in in a way like i think one of the the things that the book really highlights is it's all weird like everybody's encounter with technology is quite weird for us still yeah it doesn't feel normalized and uh, i mean i don't want to get into a technophobic rant because i'm like deeply against I hate technophobia. It really annoys me because <laughs> it's so like narcissistic, like, Oh, the internet has changed us and we're so special. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, like the pace of change in terms of the way that technology interacts with us as bodies means that we do have to keep readjusting. And there's always a new layer of weirdness that we're kind of trying to metabolize. Yeah. Um, I think like if you sort of, you can make, I'm just sort of making this up on the spot now. But the I like the weirdness around technology and the sort of idea of gesturing and not saying things outright and kind of 
holding back is probably like I think they're connected in that I sort of want to sort of have technology kind of be in there insofar as it was in my life mm. and around me without actually having to like deal with it or say yeah. anything I'm like I'm not here to like write I'm not I'm I wasn't ever intending to sort of make any commentary on those things, but mm. I just sort of wanted to sit in the weirdness of it. Mm. And I think like using kind of technology as a sort of index of how we kind of as subjects, as humans, like live under capitalism and like what are the ways that we kind of, yeah, how do we index that? And technology is one of those ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, to say like, it is, yeah, I guess the weirdness is the point of the poetry rather than what does the weirdness tell us about technology yeah. and bodies. It's, I don't think I was interested in that. Yeah, no, it's not like you, you didn't write the poem, download free PDF and then go into an exploration of what is the PDF. Like <laughs> that's, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I really appreciated that it had an engagement with technology that I hadn't seen before written down. I feel like that's gradually coming into some people's work, but there was like a playfulness and like I said, an inclusivity, just an acknowledgement, just like, yeah, this is, this is part of like the, the opposite being, I suppose, um, writing a collection where there's no reference to the fact that it was written on a laptop by a person with a smartphone and it's all about like animals in a paddock I don't know <laughs> like, yeah, something like that like nature I suppose um yeah. yeah I did do that though oh we've all written that poem that's okay <laughs> they're in there I think. But, yeah oh really I must have overlooked oh that. maybe they're not maybe they're in my new manuscript oh I've interesting got them mixed up I feel like there's I had some obsession with oh yeah there's like a fawn in the oh, second yes. poem. Yes, 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 that's right. I wanted to ask you about that. It's like a, a particular kind of deer? Elk? No. Yeah. There's a oh, there's elk. a list of animals as well. Yeah. Like that. I was like writing poems about animals and people in meadows. On <laughs> 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 my smartphone. Right. Well, not on my phone, on my laptop yeah, at least. Yeah. I think I'm like a little bit, a few years too old to do the writing poems on smartphone. Things. yeah um, i can't find them now but yeah <laughs> there are animals in it that's a that's a great point i had i had forgotten that i guess the next question that i wanted to ask is is there anything that for you isn't poetic fodder because i feel like there's such an inclusivity in that work um is there is there subjects or material that doesn't appeal? Maybe my identity. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe like anything that's like too autobiographical, you know, like in a real, yeah, in an, anything that's about me in an autobiographical way, I suppose, mm. doesn't appeal. Uh, it doesn't, that's not to say it's not, Oh, actually, that's... <laughs> I was like, probably, there's probably stuff in there, but I don't know. Um, I don't consciously do that. Um, what's not fodder? I mean, do you consciously not do that? Like, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's never really interested me. Um, I feel like actually there's probably not anything that's not fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was yeah. like, maybe love, but I'm like, no, I think I have love poems somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whether I publish them or share them. Um, oh, I don't know. Name something and I'll tell you. Well, I mean, it's very really <laughs> much impossible to make a blanket statement like that, but I'm I am glad that you brought up the, the topic of like not wanting to write autobiographical yeah. stuff um, because that also seemed like a, a conscious choice in the collection. I didn't realise that you're writing a new collection. Is it nearly finished? or? Uh, no, so it's uh, actually it's a book-length poem that I wrote for my MFA, which I submitted a couple of weeks ago. So oh, I've got congratulations. Like a, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so part of that, I wrote a book-length poem, which I, yeah, I guess is kind of finished for now. I'll mm. probably at some point go back and work on it a bit more. But um, yeah, I haven't, because I've been working on that, I haven't written as many kind of single poems does that poem deal with it doesn't deal with identity in any way uh in some ways i guess it deals with subjectivity but not necessarily identity Mm -hmm. um but it was so the masters was sort of trying to understand and account for like marxist feminism and poetics and so i guess the poem was an attempt to enact that and to sort of show my like that's that was my argument of like what a marxist feminist politics actually does and is um so it is kind of it's concerned with identity in the sense that it thinks like you have to think about like identities of around caring and around domestic labor and around gender and around bodies and class and like all those things but I still don't feel like their identity because I didn't feel like there were any of my things in there. Right. If that makes sense. Even yeah. They probably are, but not from me trying yeah. to do it. Yeah. Just kind of bleeds in. Yeah. Because, like yeah. I think it's that thing where like your identity or your experiences can't not inform your work in some way. And like, I do kind of have, some unresolved feelings around the gendered way things like that kind of play out or are received. Um, but yeah, it's not really ident. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I wish I I had a better understanding of Marxism to ask (laughs) you about, because I don't, I know that you were part of a, uh, the Das Kapital group, um, which sounds so fun. It's really um, fun. You yeah. can start one yourself. I you could, like but it. I don't. I mean, I guess I, I really need, uh, I need it to be broken down for me, like from step zero. Well, like. the yeah, the reading group was for everyone who needed some. Like everyone in that group needed someone to break it down for them, and that's right. like we. That's instead of trying to do it on our own. The idea was that we came together and read it together. Yeah. Um, okay. We did have one person in the group who had read it before so that was helpful but Mm. um and also uh david harvey does lectures on it on the books and 
they broke it up into sort of chapters so you can kind of read it and then listen to his lectures and then oh, okay. come together so like yeah it was kind of guided yeah. in a way as well but that sounds amazing it's really I, I highly recommend doing it like it kind of made me really it was sort of after long after I'd finished uni and I was not at the time interested in doing any post-grad work but everyone in that group was either doing or had done a PhD and it sort of made me appreciate learning again and mm. like the kind of the ways that learning doesn't have to just be what it always had been for me and that learning is like communal and an open space for ideas and thinking and yeah I don't know mm. it just took it out of the formal structure just enough for me to like engage properly yeah it is wonderful to learn as a group not just in a group but like everybody yeah figuring it out together yeah that is such a great thing I think it shaped how I think about poetry as well like I think it just it changed how I just approached so many things because mm. I was like oh wait yeah this actually is like valuable <laughs> yeah right like yeah. in what ways um I guess just that like I because I was reading about kind of Marxist struggle and like all the kind of concepts behind Marxist struggles um and the principles of that um as a political economy thing but also just becoming more aware of what communal acts look like and because that was happening at the same time that I was sort of in a like communal revolutionary themed reading group they sort of binded together for me and I was kind of like oh yeah everything that we want changed in the world happens when we are working communally and Mm. that like the way to resist like (laughs) the problem of capitalism is that it has broken down all those communal structures we used to have and that neoliberalism just like triples that even more so it's kind of the way you kind of the way we can try to survive it in the first instance is in communal ways mm-hmm. and resisting the narrative that we're alone if that makes sense yeah. or that our individual sort of self-worth is the sort of king yeah, that's yeah. the most important thing. And so when you add feminism to that, is that then a case of you have the group and so you challenge that neoliberal idea that we're all atomized and separate and that's the most important thing, but then you also challenge within that group the patriarchal structures? Yeah, it's kind of right. it's kind of from a specific period of like the 1970s and it did come like the Marxist feminists in Italy and stuff came out of like leftist groups where the women were also part of it but were not their own kind of issues around needing they sort of I'm not explaining this properly sorry um I just wrote a whole thesis about this and it's all like that's probably why it's hard to explain yeah um so i guess the really kind of short version of it is um within the left movements in italy and the workerist movements there were women who were part of those movements as well and who were on the one hand going like we need to sort of fight for our own 
rights within Marxist groups because there was, yeah, there were patriarchal and gendered kind of hierarchies in those groups. But also to say, like, Marx had these theories around what is labor and what is productive and what is reproductive and what is not productive and these things tied to the idea of wages and things and like I think Marxist feminists used Marxist analysis and applied it to the idea of domestic labor yeah right like that is also labor and yeah 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 and that's where like wages for housework comes from as a movement and then like Sylvia Federici writes about this and like she's got this really great She's got an essay called Wages Against Housework, which kind of explains what it was because people kind of misconstrued it. But it opens with something like, they say it is love, we say it is unwaged labour or something. And it's just like going, you know, all these sort of personal relationships we have that we think are not political are actually like totally shaped by capitalism. And yeah. That's such a scary, right? Like it's such a scary. Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's kind of commonly accepted now. Like there's, you know, probably economist articles where they talk about the net, like the sort of GDP, if it included the, like if you waged the amount of domestic work women did and they kind of put those into economical Mm. monetary terms. Mm. So it's not, it's kind of commonly accepted that women do a lot of unpaid work and that society is kind of able to function because of this unpaid work. Um, but from the Marxist sense, it's also like the worker has to reproduce themselves in order to sell their labor. So they have to go home every night and sleep and feed themselves and blah, blah, blah. But actually that reproductive labor is performed by women within the families who feed and clothe people oh that's what that means by because like yeah i'd heard that before like the worker reproducing themselves yeah meaning kind of like regenerating for the next day's work yeah yeah right but it's also kind of yeah i mean it can it can probably mean a few different things Mm. it has kind of changed in its meaning because the reproductive labor can also mean the literal reproduction of the working class in the act of like having children yes right right you're making Labor subjects, more workers, unless you're labor subjects, very rich, yeah, reproducing the elite classes, yeah. But yeah, I'm being highly radicalized here and I love it. (laughs) So great, sorry, that's a ramble. No, that's fantastic. So, when you apply that thinking to poetry, what does that look like? That's the question you've been trying to answer, yes, right? That's what I hope the master's thesis answered, and I guess the, the idea was that the poetry so the one of the examples i use as a good poem to think about this is like midwinter day by bernadette bernadette mayer wondering about um, uh the bernadette mayer alice notley thing yes as so because well, yeah. you mentioned notley in the book and i thought maybe mayer is in there too yes yeah. so i they've i guess been pretty big influences in my poetry um but also mayer's like the marxist feminism that i sort of talk about is the sort of so she has a work day, which is the 24 hours that, because, you know, as a mother, like, you don't actually stop, you don't clock off. Mm. But also the kind of conceptual framework of using a day as the limits of the poem, um, because the day and the working day are such, like, central 
Marxist concepts and just, I guess, the, like, writing about the sort of quotidian daily kind of domestic tasks and making that really front and centre, I guess, and part of the poem. So I guess the thing I was trying to show was that for Marxist feminism in poetics, there's the way it deals with those ideas in the poetry, but it's also the way it sort of is shaped by the conditions that produce it. So like Alice Notley also, you know, is conditioned by her sort of position as a mother and, you know, Denise Riley is also another one who writes about that. So I guess the conditions of the poem's production are also relevant as well as what's in the poem themselves. If that makes sense. That's Absolutely. Really, yeah. It's a really crude um, <laughs> simplification. Not at all. No, no, no. Um, thinking a lot about fellow poetry podcaster Rachel Zucker, who does a, a podcast called Commonplace, and she talks a lot about and does some really great interviews with poets who are mothers and talks about her own writing practice as a mother and and when you read her work too like I, I feel really terrible i haven't read movement today i really want to but i read zucker's work and the way that she includes every single piece of family life is um it's really challenging and and radical because you read it and you sort of go i don't want to read about this <laughs> this is not interesting uh, this shouldn't be in here. And then you, then you sort of think, why do you think that? Why shouldn't it be in there? Why is this not poetic fodder? So, yeah, and also uh, centralising her role as, as a mother, as a writer, um, in her writing is, even in 2019, feels kind of radical. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's that no matter how much we think we've, progressed in some way there still seems to be limited sort of space for motherhood and art to exist together and that's true for the material sense of like it's very hard to be able to make art when you're a mother mm. in and I say this not as a mother but as like and that's not to say they can't do it but it's just like you know the challenges of having children and producing art are disproportionately felt by mothers <laughs> compared to fathers. Yeah. So it's in that, but then it's also in the sort of reception of what kind of becomes considered good art as well, that there's something less worthy or less esoteric about art or that is so like honestly dealing with the lived experience of motherhood specifically or like a gendered lived experience mm. yeah even for me as a really sympathetic reader i'll still read a poem <laughs> like that and be like oh, i don't want to hear about this and then yeah you just realize mm -hmm. how, how much you're being challenged um i want to take a swerve this is a bit of a gamble on my part but i wondered just as a, a final question on the book about the role of music because music isn't specifically referenced but I wondered if there was a relationship between the poems and certain music or even 
your writing and music? If there are any artists that that inspired some of the work oh, I uh, <laughs> the first part of your question I was like oh I know what you might be talking about but then I was like actually no I don't have any specific artists but I did play I did learn music for most of my adolescence and childhood so maybe that's what you noticed. yeah I don't know why yeah. it popped into my head while I was reading it but I I wondered about I guess it's that technology thing, the way we listen to music these days being like through something like Spotify or YouTube. It felt like there was some kind of connection there, but I'm not, like I said, I'm just going on instinct. Okay. (laughs) Um, I guess, yeah, and more broadly, like, is music an important part of uh, your artistic practice? I think it's like a ghost because, yeah, I didn't actually... I don't know how much of music is in my poetry consciously, but also everything, anything could go in my poem. So I'm sure there's, there's albums that I was listening to that are probably somehow in here, but it's so hard to say now. Like, I just don't remember. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's okay. That's totally fine. Like I said, it was a total gamble. Um, Like, it's weird because I actually, like, it's TV shows for me. Like, I remember Ah. remember, uh, watching lots of Friday Night Lights and The Good Wife. And not in this book, but in my MFA book, they are both in there. Ah. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, that's a weird thing. (laughs) But again, like, that's a a perfect example, too, Mm. of kind of what we're talking about in terms of including dailiness, like, actual reality. Um, Yeah of the poet's life. I think that's a good, I think that's a really generous reading of it. And I, I'm going to take that as, I'm going to use that and pretend that it was intentional because I feel like it's always been actually like a weakness in my poetry that I don't have a thing that I write about. <laughs> like that I, most poets, you think you'll be like, oh yeah, this poet writes about this and this and then just and then blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't actually have that. And I think even like, I haven't read it for a while, but I feel like even Fiona's introduction kind of alludes to the sort of everythingness of it. Yeah, but I don't know if we need another poet that writes about a certain thing. Like, I think it's far more interesting to have one that that is willing to write about everything yeah. and, and also to gesture towards the gaps, like we were saying at the start. Yeah, maybe. And I think it's like, I could probably try to do that and be like, okay, I'm going to write nature poems so I'm going to write poems about I don't know moving cities or something and then get bored immediately and yeah like halfway <laughs> through the poem and then it it's to gonna me. take a sweat like you can just tell yeah. yeah as soon as you start to write that poem it's not gonna be that no. um the yeah. first poem I wrote about my cat and I think that's the only poem I've written about my cat ever yeah, yeah. well is there anything else on your mind poetically or writing wise or anything that you that you want us to talk about it's yet yet another extremely broad question Um, sorry I normally do have things on my mind (laughs) we need a hot take on a current issue I think yeah I I reckon if you like asked asked me that after the microphone door if I would be like and this thing's a problem and this thing's a problem and at the moment I'm like oh I don't have any I don't have any hot takes that I could back up sufficiently <laughs> That's so good. on the podcast. That's so good. 
Uh, I wouldn't know how to answer that question either. Yeah, I like like you were saying before. I t- tend to sort of try and stay the hell away from most like current current issues, quote unquote. Yeah. And so I think a lot of time I come off sounding like really ill informed, and I I make like weird political blunders. Oh. I'm like I don't know that person X has said something to think to person Y. So yeah. yeah. But then the other the other half of that is you are really connected to it and all you're doing is spending your time reading you know people's uh takedown blog posts of each other's work and yeah you know that's its own that's a very deep dark spiral to go down <laughs> as well oh man it's um, endless i imagine yeah. yeah like i remember getting really like invested in all of the kenny goldsmith blunders ages ago and just like watching it like a car crash and having all these opinions about it and talking to people about it and now I think I just I kind of just don't care and also it's that thing of like he's an American poet that none of us know or have anything to do with like why do I care so much Mm. but it was just like it was really fascinating like it was totally fascinating yeah I mean the tiny bit that I engaged with not which wasn't much yeah I mean same here but like I think, yeah, I think my hot take is that, like, I have to be okay not having hot takes or that <laughs> it's okay to, like, yeah, or that uh, I feel like I've become more comfortable as a poet over the past few years that I, I don't feel like I have something to prove so fiercely anymore and I used to sort of think I did and now I'm sort of like I've really learned to just enjoy the sort of fluidity and ambiguity of what a poet looks like and gets to be and that like it's not about how many poems you write or how many awards you enter or how often you do it although that said I love the idea like what I loved about doing the masters was actually developing a practice but developing one that was like focused on something and not outward facing if you know what I mean yeah yeah so I guess that's on my mind is practice as a practice yeah 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 oh that's really great yeah not and not um that kind of striving for striving sake is Mm. it's such a churn but I think every poet probably has to go through it because when you first encounter this world it's like submission deadlines Mm -hmm. awards prizes who got published where and mm-hmm. it's yeah it takes a little, little while to realize like as you say it's a fluid thing that you can make your own you can yeah. make your own practice yeah mm. can i ask you to read a poem to finish off with please yes great that would be great um okay i'm gonna read uh sustina for a memory of work could we demand a swifter set of years Or else am I repaying your visit or flexing our muscles as we work? Are we crying? None at all. Our patch of grass, no fine post box or worthy of recorded deeds. Spoke this evening about her deeds that were the result, distrust for years. Despite it then, the ripe timed visit, clamping down, imitation of work, echoing quiet sentiment of all who refused to abandon post. When you stand so elegant beside a post, 
that reflects the myths of her deeds, spun through days and months and years, revoked after disobedience for future visit, denied and denying virtue of work, and we sensed it for all. As dusk arrives, curtain all, but the bulb blown on the lamppost. If we turn our backs on the deeds whose rewards dog us for years, we might continue to avoid a visit from the masters of work. If you enrage the masters of work, they might pull out all of your teeth. They might post a sign to warn others of your deeds. Your legacy reduced over the years to a semi-reg warning visit. All our deeds make mere work. Post-visit, I forget the years. Mm-hmm.